Hello, 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 everyone. Wow, what a crazy world we live in. We are releasing this episode in the middle of the coronavirus lockdown or quarantine or whatever you want to call it. With all the craziness in the world, I reached out to my friend Emily Altman and invited her on the podcast. Emily is a therapist with a focus on marriage, couples, and family counseling. I wanted to bring her on to get her perspective on how each of us as entrepreneurs, marketers, and business people can stay sane during this time. In this episode, she gives us some practical tools and exercises that you can literally do today to help deal with some of the stress you may be feeling. Plus, we discuss how to keep your relationships healthy, whether you're stuck apart or sometimes even more challenging, you're stuck together during this time. She takes us through outlining your own mental health plan so you can be engaged through all the chaos. I'm humbly presenting this to you guys in a hope that it helps some of you. We're living in a history book right now and things change by the day. I pray that this interview helps in some small way equip you to be the best business person, partner, parent, employee, or whomever you need to be right now. If you love this podcast, please give us five stars on your favorite podcast platform and share it with those you may think need it. Without further ado, I present my interview with Emily Altman. I hope this helps you dramatically during this time. Uh, I'm very, very, very excited to be able to put this out. So huge thank you for Emily to co- for coming on the podcast. This is Tyler, and you are listening to the Analytive Podcast. Emily, thank you so much for being willing to come on the Analytic Podcast today. I'm super excited to talk to you. Oh, man, Tyler, thank you for having me. So we are recording this uh, March 23rd, 2020. Um, so if you're listening to this in the future, which obviously you will be, um, we are in the midst of the coronavirus um, scare slash quarantine slash lockdown, whatever you want to call it here in, in America. And I think this is a really good time for us to chat about mental health. And you're a, a mental health expert with a background in relational, um, specifically couples and family. So what are you seeing right now just mental health-wise across the nation or at least here in Northern Colorado with the people that you're working with? I mean, what's their mindset right now? Oh, man. Um, Well, first, I'm sure you're all feeling it. So I think the number one thing that I'm seeing that kind of encapsulates everything else is our, like, physiology kind of kicking in, you know? So when we're stressed our brains produce adrenaline right so this makes our blood pressure go up our breathing accelerates uh you know we don't digest food regularly so it's like our bodies are also going into fight or flight response so it's like we're ready for action and it's like great this is so helpful in an emergency However, it's not helpful when we are experiencing this on a regular basis. So just based on that, like physically, I'm seeing a lot of headaches, uh, insomnia, stomach aches, and really that also impacts our immune system, but that also impacts our mental health. Mm. Yeah. And ironically, right, with a thing like a virus, you know, your immune system obviously is the most important part of of fighting that back. But then our own physiological response, as you said, works against us. So what are some ways that 
you know, as we think about this, that people can fight back against that natural instinct, right? Because when you're being chased by a tiger, you know, adrenaline and, and high <laughs> stress is great, right? You know, right. you need to run away, you need to get away. But for this kind of threat with a virus that's much more slow moving, that's invisible, you know, how do you calm your own sort of mental state or physiological state in order to actually perform at peak capacity? Yeah, so there's a couple different ways, and I think you have to know your body best. Uh, I think one way is just kind of like psychoeducation is what we call it. So just putting like the knowledge base behind what's going on. So one, know that this is what's happening. But two, I think uh, like for me as a therapist, I'm taught to read the room when I'm with clients. So if I'm with a regular client and they walk in and all of a sudden I'm feeling anxious, there's a likelihood that they're experiencing anxiety. Mm. So yes, this is a tool therapists use. However, I think this is a skill set most people have. So we can feel what other people are feeling. So know that if you are out in public and you're feeling more anxiety, it's also because everybody else is too. It's like we're transmitting our emotions just as we would with the virus. We're feeling these emotions in other people, which then in turn drives ours. Yeah, for sure. And so if you're out and around other people, then what are some ways that you can, um, you know, so you're feeling that, you're feeling that anxiety. How do you reduce that? I mean, what are, I guess, maybe some practical either exercises or thought patterns or, I mean, you know, if you work with someone right now, what would you tell them who's like, you know, I just go out in public or I'm at home and I just feel anxious all the time. What would you tell them? Yeah, definitely some grounding exercises are key. So when you start feeling like your heart rate increasing or your chest is getting tight, the biggest thing you can do is to have a solid grounding exercise that works for you. So if people don't have one, um, I have a couple go-tos. Okay. Um, the first is a, well, if you're out and about, um, then the best one would be would be like a visual. So it's like grounding yourself with the senses. So it's the like five, four, three, two, one. And I always forget the order actually. So let me pull up my, my handout. Okay, cool. So it's five, four, three, two, one. And it works really well, even for kids. So if your kids are feeling really anxious too, it's just a really good way to ground yourself. So five, Name five things that you can see. Um, sometimes you can make it more challenging. So like five colors that you can see when you're in the grocery store. Okay. Mm. Four things that, that you can touch. So um, of course, during this time, maybe be mindful of it, right? Um, sure. But maybe you can touch sure. your sweater. Maybe you can touch your partner. Maybe you can touch... Uh, your hands together, things like that. Um, from there, three, what's three things that you can hear? Maybe somebody is upset with their kid because they want a certain, you know, gummy candy and you don't want to give it to them. Or uh, maybe you can hear someone sacking their produce. Yeah. So two, two things that you can smell. Um, and then the last one is what you can taste. So maybe 
you have some gum or a mint, or maybe you just had coffee that morning and you can still taste it, right? So the five senses and you count down from five just to ground yourself in you and your experience instead of everyone else's. Yeah, that's awesome. Just sort of gets you out of your own head. So I'm going to repeat that back to you. So it was five things that you can see, four things that you can touch, mm-hmm. right? Three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell, and one thing that you can taste. Correct. Yeah, I think that's awesome because I know, um, especially, you know, I'm working from home a lot right now, as are many other people. And it's so easy to sort of get wrapped in your own thought patterns or, you know, get kind of get stuck in your own head because you don't have as much outside input, um, especially social, you know, relational input. Um, I'm going to, you know, definitely try that after we get done recording. Yeah, it's a great way to to just get yourself back into your body. And for some people, that's enough. If you're experiencing really high levels of anxiety or stress, it it might just be the first step. Um, From there, I have another one that came to mind. It's a breathing exercise. So this one's gonna be hard to do if you're out and about, um, but maybe once you get back in your car or as you're sitting at your desk, if you are sitting down, Um, If you want, you can even lay down. You want to start focusing on your breathing. So really solid, deep breaths. More importantly, regular breathing. And from there, a specific body part. So I recommend starting with like your toes. So start to really like squeeze the muscles in your toes, really, really squeeze, and then let them relax. From there, you want to start feeling the weight of that relaxation. Like you weigh whatever you weigh, but like feel it, like feel the weight in your toes and then slowly move up. So start with your legs, squeeze the muscles in your legs, squeeze, 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 and then let them relax and feel how heavy that they can get. Almost like force it to be heavy, but without actually tightening your muscles. And then you move all the way up. So the last is like your face, right? Squeeze all the muscles in your face, squeeze and squeeze them. And then relax and feel the whole weight of your body sitting in your chair. This process doesn't have to be rushed. You take your time with it and allow yourself to be okay to give yourself that time to relax and get back into a better place. Yeah, that's fantastic. I actually heard just recently someone else tell me about that and I've not had a chance to try it yet. Um, But now usually when you hear things multiple times, it gets moved up on my list of (laughs) things to try. And so I want to try that as well. Yeah, because this particular person was talking about, you know, squeeze it so tight that it almost hurts, like you get tired and then then relax, right? And, you Mm -hmm. know, start either from your head to your toes or you did from your toes to your head or even, you know, from your fingers and kind of work your way in or across your body. Yeah. Um, yeah, Emily, that's fantastic. I I, I want to try these now, but it would be super boring for all the people <laughs> listening to the podcast. Probably. Yeah, let me know, though. I will certainly do so. Awesome. So for those people who are working remotely right now, you know, who are maybe more on the extrovert side, who typically worked in an office or worked with a bunch mm-hmm. of people or even had just a really active social life, um, quarantine, right, effectively, or shelter in place, whatever you want to call it, is what most of us are sort of adopting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we keep really solid relationships with people who are separate from us right now, who we are used to seeing, 
but we don't see as much anymore. What are some really practical ways to do that? Yeah, I think the number one thing you can do is actively connect. So, you know, don't rely on your friend or your coworkers or whatever to reach out to you. Like you be active because that's your need. So what can you do to then take ownership of that to connect with them? Um, and then from there, it's like you have to be creative. If that's a need for you, what can you do? So I, uh, I was talking to a client about, you know, working from home and, and how do you move forward from that? And for them, it's like regular happy hour with their coworkers. So, you know, how do you then like mm. still meet that? Maybe you Skype and you have your favorite cocktail at home or uh, maybe during that time you make sure your partner's home so they can watch the kids. So you have like totally just your space to then go have time with your coworkers. Like you take the power back from this chaotic experience that we're all going through, like take control of what you can take control of and make that need happen for you. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I've, my wife yesterday was Skyping with some friends, um, you know, and, yeah. and we even have some friends doing the, the you know, happy hour, uh, you know, or even breakfast together, quote unquote together, yeah. right? Like through <laughs> Skype. And um, so I'm seeing a lot of that. And, you know, we're super fortunate to live in a time where through the internet, you know, through video conferencing, I mean, we're obviously not in the same room and we get to have this conversation. Like we're so yeah. fortunate that even though we're isolated, like this is never going to be as good as, as real, meaningful, you know, person to person interaction, but it's way better than, you know, writing letters or being completely separate. Right, exactly. And it's, it's the same thing. Like, yeah, you can't connect physically with those friends and with that environment, but what can you do still physically? Like if that's a need for you, um, maybe you pet your dog more often and still have that like physical connection or maybe uh, your partner is also working remotely. So maybe that's time that you have lunch together or something like that physical need is still there. So how do you then be creative to still make that happen for you? Yeah, for sure. So then speaking of yeah. working remotely, obviously there's tons of benefit, right? Because you can spend a lot more time with your partner, with uh, even roommates or whatever your kind of given situation is. But I mean, as this drags on, you know, who knows how long this will go on from at least in a few days, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months or longer. Um, so what are some ways, <laughs> you know, there's the good side, right? So you can really connect. And, and I think that's pretty easy for most people to figure out. But there's also sort of the annoyance, right, of now you're with a person or a small group of people um, often. Right. So are you yeah. starting to see, you know, we're depending on when you kind of went into quarantine or anywhere from a couple of days to maybe a week and a half into this um, for people who are kind of getting annoyed with that person that they also love very much. I mean, how do we how do we keep from, you know, souring that relationship in any way and have lots of grace toward each other? <laughs> it's so true. I think um, I'm laughing because I think more people are experiencing the negative at this point. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like, I love you and I need my space, man, right? <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, a couple of things come to mind. Um, first, it's okay that you don't want them around. You know, you have stress at work. For a lot of people, they get, ex they get stress at work. 
but you're now adding that to all the other stress, uh, you know, relational stress, stress of this virus. Maybe you're also stressed because like your parents or grandparents are getting older, or maybe the economy, maybe your cash flow is impacted, right? So yep. it's oh, yeah. everything all in one place now. It's all in your home. So our lives are changed and you're trying to adjust very quickly to this very quick change. So one, don't think you're, you're a bad partner because you need some space. Most people are there. Most people agree with you. So I think setting a plan ahead of time for the stress. So, okay, you're already in it. You're feeling stressed now, but tackle it now so you don't continue to increase that stress. So I often recommend a mental health plan like some people call it, you know, a self-care plan, and they should have certain aspects. So you want it to be um, like a physical, your physical needs, um, your emotional needs, spiritual needs, and relational needs. Those are kind of the big four. Uh, you also know yourself best. So if there's something that doesn't quite fit those that you know you need, definitely add it. And it should also have a plan of the time increments of this, of these characteristics. So what's your daily plan, your weekly plan, monthly, yearly. So like for a lot of people going to the gym is a really good coping skill and we can't go to the gym. So if you're used to working out daily, how do you then still meet that need? You have to be creative. Maybe you're doing um, YouTube videos, or maybe you're working out from home, um, all of these points should be tackled. But specifically to your question, for your relationship, have a solid balance. If both of you are really social, maybe try to increase your date nights to try to meet that need. If you're not, right, and you do need that space, how do you accomplish that? Maybe you both work in different rooms in your home. Maybe you honor the work schedule and you guys don't talk from nine to five, okay? Like there's nothing wrong with that because you're used to having that and that's what has worked for you before. That doesn't mean that since you're now together, you have to try to change what has worked for you. Hmm. Yeah. And I see that, I mean, because my wife is currently home for a little bit and it is, you know, I'm still working remotely. She's working on a lot of other projects. And so from nine to five, you know, we'll we sort of pass each other in the hallway and give each other a kiss and a hug. But generally yeah. we've been doing our own thing and it's been very helpful. And then, you know, once five o'clock-ish rolls around, we usually, you know, then actually spend the, the quality time together that we would normally spend. Right, um, right. And it's like, at the same time, you have to also stay connected. So if you have, you know, your Friday night date nights and you like to go out to dinner and you can't do that now, that doesn't mean you're off the hook for having a regular date night. You know, you still need to connect with your partner during this time. You know, I think a lot of people are, are joking about it, you know, 2021 baby boom. You know? <laughs> yeah. At, at the same time, it's a good idea. You know, sex or physical touch increases the production of oxytocin and all those great hormones. And that's great for our physical and mental health. So, yes, you still need to be connected. And yes, it's okay to have alone time. It's still abiding by what works for you in just more creative ways. For sure. And I think there's a temptation because you're together all the time now that 
you replace quality with quantity. Like, oh, I, yeah. we don't need to have date night because we're just together all the time. But, you know, if you're just together watching TV or, you know, both playing on your phone separately, like, yeah, you're together, but, but there's not that quality interaction. Um, exactly. And that's what I've found is, you know, it's, it's just as much going to be about like the quality time and really taking those moments together, um, whether it's date night or just, you know, Sunday afternoon or, you know, whatever time you spend. Um, yeah. And, you know, instead of just being like, well, we're together all the time. So therefore we don't need to work on this anymore. Right. And that's so true. And honestly, if there was like one piece of advice I gave every couple that came in, it's that you still have to keep dating even if you're married or even if you're, you've been in a committed relationship for 10 years or whatever that means for you, you fell in love because you put in the effort and that's something that has to be maintained. So keep up the date nights, keep that, those points of connection. And it's, you're exactly right. It's the quality, not necessarily the quantity. Yeah. Awesome. So I want to circle back to the mental health plan you were talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, so someone who, and we'll get to some of the details about what you actually do in depth at the end, but for someone who says, this is great, but you know, right now I can't afford Emily or with all the chaos, you know, um, but I want to kind of put this together and present it to my partner or to my family. You know, how do, how does one A kind of put it together and then B, how do you present it and not, um, you know, seem like a total jerk. It's like, here's everything that I need. I hope you all just do this for me. You know, like, how do you sort of balance that? Um, and then what is actually, let's start, I guess, the first question of like, what does it actually look like to put one together? Um, yeah, so it depends on the person. Um, some people, I have like a pre-made sheet. So if people don't want to be, um, like if they're not planners and like writing out an outline is super stressful for you, then I have kind of like a template. Um, but if that's something that you really thrive in, then I think create your own. But just write down, I have it based on time. So at the top of the page, I have daily. And then I have like bullet points of physical, emotional, spiritual, and relational. So every day you should, you know, eat healthy. Or maybe that means every day you drink a good amount of water under physical. Or that also means, you know, that you're taking care of yourself, that you're showering every day, that you're working out every day, you're doing something active, right? So whatever that means for you, a physical daily goal. And then an emotional daily goal. So for me, I, if, if I start to get higher stress, I really like to reflect on things. Um, like positively. So if stress is getting too much sometimes, then it's like, okay, I'm doing this work because it means a lot to me. I'm passionate about helping people. Or I really kind of validate whatever emotions that I'm going through. And also the positive then to help me get out of it. Hmm. Um, but whatever that means for you. So spiritual, sometimes people, um, if you're Christian, maybe that means you read the Bible every day. Um, if you don't identify with religion, maybe that's yoga or meditation. Or even for some people, it's just going on a walk or acknowledging nature, right? So some spiritual daily goal. And then a relational goal. So maybe um, every day you kiss your partner goodbye when they leave. Well, I guess now we're all at home. So maybe you kiss your partner before you sit down at your desk to start working. Or maybe that means at the end of the day, you come back and cook a nice dinner together. Or you 
talk about your day before you go to bed. Whatever that daily connection is with your partner, whatever that looks like for you, set a goal to make sure that you need it. So that's daily. And I know for a lot of people, when it's written out like that, it's like, holy cow, <laughs> I, there's no way I'm going to be able to do all this in a day. Right? right, right, right. So make it work for you. If, you know, you are a business owner and you work more than eight hours a day, still try to fit in those little pieces to make it work for you. But you should still have a daily goal to meet it. Yeah, great. And I think yeah, you, so then from there, you then go to like weekly. So what's a weekly physical goal? Maybe that means you go on a Saturday hike or something or, you know, whatever you, you go by, but what you do um, on the timeline of it. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think even setting those goals, right? Like maybe you don't hit them every day, but even if you hit them half the days, you know, you're still going to be way better off than if you weren't doing them at all. Right? Exactly. And if you have it written down, then it's also like, oh, okay, I clearly, I, I need to go to the gym more. I only went once this week, but I have it as a daily goal. So I need to push that a little bit. Or yeah, you can kind of reflect on, um, of course, being flexible, life happens. <laughs> and that's a, that's a need for you to be mentally healthy. So yeah, being flexible, but also holding yourself accountable. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And then, so for those folks with, uh, sort of the additional challenge, right, of having kids home now, because normally kids would be in school or daycare, but again, those are, are largely closed. Right. Um, you know, how, what are you seeing within maybe your own patient base largely, or, I mean, how are people sort of coping with that, you know, because now there's a whole nother, not is it just, oh, I'm not going to talk to my partner from nine to five, but I also have kids and they need to be fed and, you know, entertained or educated, you know, during this time. How are folks dealing with that and any, I guess, advice or feedback for families who are sort of, you know, trying to take it all on themselves right now? Yeah, kudos to parents. Like, I, I think that's one of the biggest stresses right now um, because there's pressure to provide, right? Because your parents, that's your number one job and you love doing that and you have everything else on your plate. So I'm seeing very, very high levels of stress because there's pressure to be the best parent. You know, you do the best that you can every day. And then now when your kid is needing to learn, like you just, you don't want them to be in front of the TV all day. You know, I totally get it. So it's been really challenging time for parents for sure, for sure. I think a big piece of advice, and again, I keep talking about setting plans, um, but it seems like that's helping parents work together during this time with their kids. So um, I actually had a, a meeting with a colleague of mine and she had to reschedule our call because she's like, okay, my husband has um, phone time, uninterrupted phone time and meetings in the morning and mine are in the afternoon. So is there a way that we can reschedule to the afternoon? You know, no problem. But so for them, it was who gets priority work time and who has like secondary work time to make sure that the kids were okay. Gotcha. And I thought yeah, that was yeah. a really brilliant idea to try to make the most out of a really challenging time, um, especially with parents who have younger kids. Older kids, it's a little bit different. You know, you can try to find different um, learning programs. Of course, a lot of schools and local communities are trying to put out educational content, 
So that makes it a little bit less of a burden. It's for those parents that those kids have really high energy. They need the engagement in order to learn that uh, really need to be creative to make sure work and family are getting um, equally accomplished during this time. For sure. And then when you put together this plan, I mean, is it usually, I assume it's usually done as a couple or as a family or, uh, you know, I don't think it's something where you individually say, oh yeah, you know, here's my plan, honey, you know, good luck, right? I mean, how do you go about in a healthy way sort of putting this together, you know, to make sure sort of everyone's needs are met versus like just my needs? Oh, that's so, so true. I think one piece of advice would be to not have the kids, especially if they're younger. Um, That would be a good time to have them watching TV because you're stressed. You have so much on your plate and you might, that conversation might get heated. So I would eliminate kids from that just so you and your partner can be real and honest during this time on your needs and making sure everything is balanced. Um, Then the second point of that, if you are getting heated and it is getting really stressful and you're mad at one another, take a second, really more than a second, but like walk away, right? Really, it's about 20 minutes for our heart rates to decrease once we get to that point. So walk away, like get away from that point because you want to make sure that it works for both of you and that you're connected during this time. And if tempers are high, that's not going to be a point where you can effectively work together to problem solve. Yeah, we call this, uh, I mean, we stole it from someone else because we worked through a, the Gottman Institute, which I believe you're either certified in or I saw something on your website about that. Yes, yeah. They call it, yeah, flooding, right? When your, exactly. your physiological response, your heart rate increases, you get stressed or angry. Um, you know, and just ha- to walk away and, you know, occasionally my wife and I will have to use that and just be like, you know, honey, I'm flooded. Um, like, let's take 20 minutes, you know, watch TV, go for a walk outside, whatever, you know, and then sort of exactly. come back and, and try again when uh, tempers are, are lower. Perfect. Yes, exactly. And the Gottman Institute, I, yes, you're right. I do use it. Um, but we they put a lot it. of science behind it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did some with our, uh, we did it with the church small group. We actually worked through it a couple small group and it was, it gave us a lot of tools, you know, to just understand where we are individually and where we are as a couple. Highly recommend the book. Um, what is it? I forget the name of the book they have. I'll, I'll post the link in the notes. Um, but yeah, great book um, and great resources. They have a ton of great books, honestly. <laughs> They're really, really good. Um, I also like for men um, to help understand how women fight. Um, it's the, the men's guide to women tends to work really well for guys. Um, and it breaks down more of like the emotional side to women um, and the science behind our disconnect. But yeah, all of the Gottman books, um, I have all of them, but they are just, yeah, they're really awesome tools for couples for sure. Awesome. So while we're on the couple and family thing, I mean, another thing facing a lot of couples and families right now is finances, right? Someone got laid off or furloughed or the business dried up because it was based in events or restaurants, you know, or one of these big impacted industries. And so, you know, some cuts are going to have to happen maybe budgetarily. There's going to be some conflict around finances that maybe couples haven't experienced before or haven't experienced in a while, right, with uh, Mm -hmm. a good economy. So uh, 
as those conversations take place, obviously everyone's actual financial position is different, but what are some ways to really have healthy and meaningful conversation around finances, knowing that it often is a big point of contention? Right. The big point about finances is acknowledging the points being made behind it. So um, I'm trying to think of a good example, but I'm thinking like, um, maybe you're cutting your food budget um, to try to save money or something. And some, and then your other partner's like, no, but we need it to be like this. You know, what is the reason behind the fight? Like the value behind the disagreement. So for one partner that might be, you know, I don't want to just stock up on mac and cheese and ramen, you know, because that's our time to connect. I love cooking with you. So for me, that's something that I don't want to budge on. So instead of fighting, yes, the dollars matter and you do have to budget and balance everything. And also acknowledge that you guys have different values on finances behind it and, and connecting on that, even if that's something you still can't do anymore. How can you replace that value, that need behind cutting that part of the budget? Sure, right. I think another one is, you know, someone in the family with dietary needs, or at least a strong need to eat healthy, you know, because that's just sort of the right thing that they want to do. Or maybe there's a, you know, a physical need or an illness or something behind it. You know, so like, for example, gluten free products way more expensive, but maybe Mm -hmm. that still makes sense. And so instead of cutting and saying, oh, we're going to get, you know, Riz crackers, instead of paying an extra three bucks for the gluten free crackers, like for a partner, that might be a a huge deal, right? Exactly. Um, so can you cut somewhere else instead that has, you know, less of an impact on all parties? Yeah, a good compromising tool is to uh, rate your your need or the importance of what you're debating, if you will, the importance of it from one to 10 and for each of you to do it. So for one partner, um, having food, if we're talking about that, Having solid food is going to be like a nine out of 10, while for somebody else, it's a six out of 10. So that doesn't mean that the six out of 10 partner doesn't have value. However, the eight out of 10 person really needs to be heard. So let them take the floor on that point, even if you have to cut it or you're debating or whatever, really hear that person out because to them, that's huge. That's a nine, right? Or eight, whatever I said, it's huge. Okay. Right, right. It's so very let important. them have that. Yeah. Good. So shifting a little bit, Emily, to your background. So how did you, you know, end up wherever you want to start, you know, college or post-grad? I mean, how did you end up uh, here, right, working in northern Colorado, helping couples and families, but primarily couples work through issues? How, what's your interest and how did you sort of get started in that? Yeah, I've always wanted to help people. Um, so, you know, growing up, I always explored different ways of what that would look like. I have a history of depression. So I went to a counselor as a kid and I, I hated that experience. (laughs) (laughs) I love the honesty. Like you do counseling now and you're like, my counselor was awful. Oh my gosh. And this poor lady, like, (laughs) I feel like reflecting back, she had no shot because I went in every day and I lied. I lied. I lied. And it was like I, I wanted to protect my like darkness inside of me. Um, that sounds strange, I think, for a lot of people, but it was like that was my like raw core. So I was not prepared to share that with anyone. 
Mm -hmm. um, anyway, from there, I, in order to get out of counseling, I had to pretend to be okay. So I had to put on like my positivity mask and um, right. I learned like a it, lot. Inside yeah. you weren't necessarily like, you know, the person that you wanted to be or, or moving toward that, but you learned how to sort of manage expectations around you in a way, you know, kind of almost have that facade on, right? Right, exactly. And now that I know therapy, I know what I did. Um, so it's actually effective tools. And somehow at 14, I, it worked. I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I guess I was just meant to be a therapist, huh? Um, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but I did like solutions focused therapy on myself. Um, I was also paying attention to my behaviors and my thoughts to try to pretend to be whatever. Um, so when I kind of fell in love with psychology and understanding people and why we do the things that we do. And once I fell in love with psychology, I naturally kind of progressed into therapy. And then from there, I knew I wanted to be a different type of therapist. You know, a lot of therapy is the emotional side, which is so important for a lot of people. And at the same time, it's not for everybody. So I wanted to create a therapy office that can just be solutions focused. So if you don't wanna talk about your emotions, if you just wanna to try to find ways to move forward, then you can still do that and have these effective tools from a therapist to help you change. Okay, so for those of us, you know, I think, we have a very specific idea of therapy who maybe either haven't gone to it or haven't gone to it in a while. You know, it's like you sit on the couch and you tell the therapist your, your problem. And right. so for your office, it sounds like that's not the case. So I guess, what is that? What do those tools sort of look like then applied? Like if a couple comes to you, you know, what are the conversations? What are the, the worksheets, whatever that you have them do rather than maybe sit on a couch and stare at the ceiling and tell you all their problems. Right. Right. Yeah. Most of my clients um, within the first few sessions tell me that they've gone to a therapist before and they were tired of talking. So if for a lot of people, it, it tends to fit well for that. So I do have a couch, <laughs> um, but that's required. About it. It's required. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't have, you know, water features. I'm not like burning incense. Um, you walk in and I'm playing classic rock. Um, so I want this to communicate work, like change takes time and it takes real hard work in order to get there. So um, an average day, once people have come in, um, we do like regular assessments. I like to get to the goal very quickly. So assessments are really helpful in getting that. So once we have a goal every week, I have a new tool that we are gonna work on together. So if the previous tool I gave you last week didn't work, yeah, of course, we can go back and, and retouch base on that and make sure that's solid. But every week, if they don't have something, I have something. I am actively taking steps with them to help them reach their goal. So every week we're working on something new. And that's awesome. Yeah, so it's a lot different. And so talk to me about... Um, like what kind of exercises? I mean, is it stuff like we talked about already earlier in this podcast or are there, you know, worksheets? Like what are these exercises? As an example, I know they're varied, but maybe one that you could at least talk us through high level that you give to folks. Uh, sure. So um, 
a big one is talking about what fights are your forever fights and what fights are actually solvable. So when we choose a partner, uh, we're choosing a set of regular problems that we're always going to have. So talking about Gottman Institute, they've done research on this where 70% of our arguments are what I call forever fights. No matter what, like you two are just gonna fight on this topic, 70% of them. So how do we make that more effective? How do we communicate more effective during this time? How do we know that that's just gonna be a forever fight? Right, gotcha. And that's, I mean, if you think about it, 70%, I mean, that's a crazy amount of fights. You know, if you think <laughs> about all the conflict you have with a partner or spouse or, um, you know, and you divide those up, only 30% are sort of the temporary, you know, fights. And in my relationship, I find that those, you know, although they don't happen super often, are usually almost off, well, often because of even like a physiological, one of us is hungry or tired, or, you know, mm -hmm. there's a reason that, you know, that we're not even fighting over a real thing. It's just, we're both hungry and tired and therefore, you know, we're, on each other's nerves rather than it just being like a, a real issue. Right, right. It's so true. And and for some, and it depends on the couple, right? So somebody might come in and they'll say, um, like I, I often tell people about my forever fight with my husband. So, so for us, one, and I say it jokingly, but it's real, is temperature. Like mm -hmm. I hate being cold and I turn up the heat, you know, and he's like sweating, like, Emily, turn down the heat, like I'm dying. And even though it's like funny now that I talk about it, when I'm in that moment, it's like, man, I'm freezing. Like, no, I want the temperature to be like this. Like we are going to fight about temperature until the end of time, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so for us, it's really not a compromise. Like there's really no middle like one degree and somehow I'm colder. Like I feel it even if it's just a little bit, right? Sure, For yeah. other couples, yeah. Maybe, you know, somebody wants it on 67 and somebody wants it on 70. Maybe a 68, you know, would be okay for them. Maybe that's a compromise that they can make and then move on, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really reflecting on what you can actually find a middle ground for and what you just have to learn to communicate effectively during that time and be okay with it. So now that we've sort of gone down this path then, so for those forever fights, right? If there isn't a obvious like, oh, compromise of, yes, this is the perfect temperature where everyone's happy. You know, what are, uh, I mean, how do you work through that? Let's just maybe run the temperature example, you know, for a minute. Like how are some ways, you know, that you help couples work through that situation or maybe you and your own husband, however you want to kind of go with this, but like, how do you work through that? And what are the actual meaningful outcomes? So you don't spend tons of time fighting over three degrees. Yeah, the biggest, the over three degrees. <laughs> Those are important three degrees, okay? They are. They are very important. <laughs> um, the biggest takeaway from those forever fights is not talking about the facts. So, um, like, I have a, a client that they'll fight about money. Um, and for them, it's, like, kind of like setting budgets. And there is some wiggle room. However, they are not willing to budge on it, right? So instead of talking about the actual dollars, I challenge them to talk about the thoughts and the feelings behind it. If you're sitting 
and all you're doing is arguing the facts, no one will win. No one will win because your facts are equally as true. Um, a lot of it's based on your perception of it. No one will ever win. You'll have the same thing. You'll never get over it. So instead, talking about what's going on behind it. Um, a big one too is like quality time, like how much time together is too much time. So it's not talking about, okay, we need, um, you know, three hours a night together. No, that's too much. I need an hour by myself and then I need this, right? Okay, that's almost secondary to what's actually going on. The person who wants more time is communicating or trying to communicate that they just want to feel connected to you, right? They want that time to really have you there in their life. So even if you can't compromise on a time, maybe that time that you spend with them, you make sure that your phone is turned off or you make sure that you are meeting their need. Maybe um, they really, maybe they really connect well with physical touch. So maybe during that time, you hold their hand more or you put your arm around them more. It's communicating what's behind the actual fact of just focusing on time. Yeah, which I think, so I'm gonna take this a little bit left field here, but you know, we're, again, as we're recording this, I think last night in the political world, one particular party shot down all the other ideas of another particular political party you know, about how to like resolve some of these things. And again, I have no idea who's right. I don't even want to comment on it, but I think you see exactly that even in our, our national conversation right now of, you know, I think we're all on the same page. We want to eliminate the virus. We want to help people in need, you know, but there's a lot of bickering over the quote unquote facts, right. As we right. go into this, you know, and so this isn't just something that works necessarily with your, your significant other, your spouse or a family member. But, you know, it's something we see in businesses and in politics and in lots and lots of other areas right now. That's so true. Can you imagine if our government like just sat down together and was like, hey, coronavirus is super stressful right now. Like, what can we do to make sure our country's OK? That's what we want. Yeah, for sure. If they that said be... that in the news. How different would our news be? You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they'd have a very different world. Um, but yeah, it can it can impact yeah, even your business. How do you connect with your management team if you're just focusing on the facts? Maybe they didn't reach their numbers, but maybe it's something else is going on. So how do you then take a step back from the facts and really reconnect with other people just as, as people, as, as humans should? Yeah, for sure. So then running with that thread. So for people who have uh, changed their work relationships drastically, because maybe you were used to being in the office, now everything's remote, or, you know, there is, you know, finances have dried up. So everyone's on like a shoestring budget. So there's a lot more stress, any particular words of advice or tools or anything you want to give those people, as you think about um, the professional relationships in your life, how to keep those, you know, balanced and, and sane in the midst of all this kind of chaos. Yeah, wow, that's, it's a huge goal for everyone. I think people are really starting to feel we kind of talked about it earlier, but like the negative impact of what's going on um, and trying to focus almost like forcing the positive, like it's fine. We get to work from home. This is great. You know, I, I can work in my PJs. You know? Right. I think communicating like, yes, we're going to make it work, but making it okay to talk about what's not working. 
or what's increasing your stress, making it okay to connect with one another, not just on the like anxious side, like we don't have to focus on, you know, the numbers every day. Like if you need to, great. And you don't have to necessarily do that in relationships, especially in work, right? How do you connect emotionally and just make it okay to talk about it? Touch base with your coworkers and be vulnerable first to make it okay for them to be vulnerable. So if you're a boss, just communicating like, hey, I know this is really hard. I'm experiencing this change negatively by this way too. And give them some real details, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Make it okay to, to talk about that. And also tie that with hope. We're going to get through this. We're being smart about it. And we're all here together. Yeah. Because I see right now a lot of, um, especially with marketers and gurus, and I mean, even I wrote a little bit on, you know, marketing through the coronavirus, and uh, but there can be that aspect of forced positivity. It's like, everything is going to be just fine. Everybody just do a smile on your face and like, pretend it's no big deal. You know, pretend you're doing fine. Like, you know, um, sort of like a almost grin and bear it sort of thing. Um, which obviously there's some of that that's required, right? Straight up, especially professionally. But I also think in small teams that work closely together or teams that maybe have um, a requirement to really be vulnerable, which often means being creative, right? Finding real creative solutions to solve this. Um, yeah. you know, that actually taking the time and being like, no, like this is really hard and we're in a bad spot. And like, how are you guys doing personally? You know, because it's hard to be creative if you're dealing with personal, um, issues or, or you know, whatever you want to call those things. Right. Like, but if, exactly. if you're uncertain as many of ours can be right now, um, you know, it's hard to expect the best from your team when they're, you know, wondering if their kids are like, you know, getting into the cleaning products at home because they had to, you know, leave them downstairs while they're on this call. Like, right. um, you know, those are, are some real deep things to think about as well. Yeah, that's so true. I, and it's a fine balance. Like you said, you have to know your team. I think, yes, making sure it's okay to talk about that and like, and provide hope. And like, yes, you want to be positive and you know, how do you market through this? Like, I'm looking forward to that. I need to go check it out, right? <laughs> um, but you have to, it's, it's a fine balance. So if all you're doing is pushing positivity, it's going to make your team feel pressure to fit that or fight it. You know, if, it, if that's not how they're feeling, you're exactly right. How are you going to be creative? How are you going to provide that emotion or that content that's required for your job if you're not in that mind space to do it. It's not going to be your best work. So making sure that all of your team's needs are getting met by being honest and, and open about it for sure. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. So Emily, um, sort of any closing thoughts, right, based on a lot of stuff we've talked about as people sort of navigate these next few months, which we truly don't know. You know, I do believe it won't be super long, but I could be wrong. And I also, you know, want to be careful about you know, making predictions about the future that none of us know about. But as people sort of navigate the next few months or a few weeks or however long this sort of crisis um, continues, any final thoughts on what you would offer them or tools or resources? Oh, man, yeah. I, all the tools we've discussed, I think the biggest thing is plan. Like, plan ahead, even if you're not a planner. And I know that can increase stress for you. But create a plan with yourself with your team at work with your partner 
every aspect that you can because during this time when when stress is really high we we force ourselves to like try to find some control in something because that's what makes us feel better you know this is a big reason why stores are low or out of food of you know clean supplies toilet paper <laughs> you know so how do you then take control of what you can so you can feel more confident and decrease your stress in life so that's yeah. control so take control of what you can go on walks get out create a solid self-care plan that you have control of your life as of what you can yeah and for me that also personally has meant limiting negative news intake or just news intake because news tends to be negative in its very yeah. nature right like limiting the inputs you know, and replacing those with, you know, creative inputs, positive inputs. And that's helped me relationally. It's helped me professionally already. Um, and I think it's easy to just want to sit there on Twitter, or watch, you know, CNN or Fox or whatever your preferred news platform is right now. Right. And, um, you know, and just absorb it all. Right. Rather than kind of shutting, shutting it off and saying, no, this is a great opportunity. You know, how do I leverage it? You know, not in a forced positivity way, but in a, you know, we might as well do something sort of way. Yes, exactly. And for a lot of people, I think decreasing whatever negative energy that is for you. So yeah, news might be one if those numbers are really getting scary for you, or if that negative energy around it really impacts you, then acknowledge that, feel that for yourself. And it's okay if you don't do that. You know, it's okay if you don't want to do something. It's okay if you want to go on a lunch walk. Like it's okay to do what you need to do to be happy and healthy during this time. Yeah, awesome. And when you were talking about planning in particular, it reminded me of the Dwight Eisenhower uh, quote, you know, plans are worthless, but planning is everything, right? Yeah. Like this, and I think that's sort of where we are is that, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Like it's kind of worthless, but actually sitting down and doing it for both peace of mind and just general preparedness. Exactly. Helpful. And just your awareness of it, just increase your awareness of you. We have so much awareness of what's going on, you know, within our country, especially if you're soaking all that up, but give yourself that same energy. So yeah, plan. I love that quote. It's exactly what it is. You want to plan just so you have the ideas of, of what you need to do to be effective. Awesome. So Emily, if people want to connect with you, you know, social media, web, however is best for you, you know, where can they find you? Um, yeah, so my business is The Couples Workshop. Um, I have a website. It's toolsforus.com. Not the number four, just all typed out, toolsforus.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Perfect. Uh, is that would be Tools for Us or at The Couples Workshop? or what? The Couples Workshop. Couples Workshop. Awesome. Well, Emily, this has been extremely helpful for me. I look forward to in the next few days here deploying and trying some of the tools we talked about. And I think it's just a good sort of uh, mental health check-in, right, in the midst of a lot of chaos. So thank you so much for coming on the Analytic Podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Tyler. It was great.